Hello and welcome to the Selfish Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Michelle from the Sobriety Playbook, who's just an amazing person who's really just put herself out there and shining her light so bright. I'm so excited to hear more about her life and her story. So hello, Michelle. Can you share with the audience where in the world are you and what time of day is it for you? (laughs) Hi, Luke. I'm so glad to be on here. Thank you so much for the invite. I am in San Antonio, Texas, and it is 8 a.m. in the morning. Oh, nice. I actually found you online through another YouTube channel. So uh, give a little shout out. It was on um, a channel someone else actually recommended me to watch. And I try and tune in when I can called the 144 Chosen Ones. That's a very inspiring and motivational, upbeat, uh, positive channel. So I found you on there in an interview and what you was talking about and just how open you were sharing was just beautiful to me. I love it when someone just is authentic and open and, you know, especially with your life what you're talking about is so personal it's like someone would keep locked up can I just ask how did did you get into a position of sharing yeah so I was about 39 years old um up to that point I had always lived a life of guilt and shame and pretty much like secrecy Mm -hmm. but what I realized is that that wasn't working for me um, I what got brought that into realization? That realization came when I realized that I needed to get sober and that, honestly, the drugs and the alcohol no longer worked anymore for me. And when it stopped working and... And I, and I remember trying to kill myself so many times and, and I couldn't even die. I realized, okay, something is going to have to change. And with getting sober, um, I learned how important it, I needed, to, how important it was for me to be honest with people. Mm, Everything had to change for me. Yeah. So how, how many years has it been since that sort of change happened? It's been two and a half years now. Oh, nice. Congratulations. <laughs> Every day you. is a, a step forward and like two and a half years is a long time for to, to, to be sort of sober. And I love your, like your name on your thing, the sobriety playbook, because that's a, they say so helpful for so many. Yeah. Yeah. For the past uh, several years, I know it's been a lot of people have been locked up because of uh, isolation and everything. And I, I don't know. I just want want people to know that there's hope because when you're in the depths of addiction, it, it just feels completely hopeless and you feel alone. And I don't want people yeah. to to feel that way. Yeah, definitely. Well, I want to get more into addiction and more into what happened in your life, but I want to go right back to the beginning of your life. Yeah, Can you yeah. just paint me a, a picture of what your childhood was like, like pre-10 years old? Yeah, for sure. So I, I grew up here in Texas in San Antonio. Um, I'm the eldest of and I have three kids. So there's me, a younger brother, two and two younger brothers, right? Um, I didn't grow up in a rich family, but I was not poor. So I guess pretty hmm. middle class. My mom got to stay home with us as kids. My dad went to work. I went to private school. I always had everything that I needed. But yeah, what, did, what did your dad do for work? My dad was a ge- is a geologist. Okay. Yeah. What what was school life like? How do you remember school back then? My gosh. Um, I always felt very out of place. Um, Bullied. People. I don't know. I was very not. I, I was like very nice and open to everyone. And people always wanted me to like pick sides with certain groups. And I've always been that spirit that just wanted to love everybody and be around everyone. And that was not something that was accepted. So I felt very alone and isolated. Yeah. And what this is very interesting because that's like similar to now everyone's trying to associate themselves with different groups and picking on the other groups. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, it's that school mentality seems to be online now, sort of every, well, in everything at the moment. Um, right. I can really relate to not wanting to be like I don't like to label or identify with anything mm-hmm. my own authentic individual and want to give as much love to anyone you know so it's not not about taking sides and that's so right. hard these days but you started really that very early. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that I noticed is uh, when social media and everything started coming out, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just like school all over again. So, yeah. And what would you say? And it may be the bullying. What would you say comes to mind first when I ask what was your earliest struggle in life? The first thing that comes to mind is when I would come into the presence of other people and I would start having conversations with people, that was very difficult for me because the things that would come out of people's mouths were completely contradictory to the energy that was coming towards me. So for example, if someone was telling me a story about what something that happened in their life, the energy that was coming towards me was saying something completely different. And Mm. so I could read people so easily that I just didn't understand why I was being lied to. And so it was hard for me to trust people. Okay. And you just felt that friction right at an early age. And did you find anything at that time that helped you find a little bit of balance or what, what, what did you find that helped you at that time? Or didn't you find anything? I didn't find anything to be quite honest. I, from as far back as I can remember, I had always been this hesitant type of soul that was kind of like full of anxiety and fear. And I didn't trust anyone else, but I didn't trust myself. So I never really spoke up about what was going on in my mind and what I was experiencing from fear of being judged. Because in the past, when I did bring up stuff like that to say my family or teachers, I got judged. So I made the decision, well, I'm not going to share that about my life. So I didn't find any solutions really. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember that that age, like your earliest ambition or dream or something you wanted to do when you were older, like the first thing you remember? My first ambitions? Not really. I just remember a lot of fear, to be honest, Luke. Like, I, I didn't really have, I, I just wanted to be happy. I just wanted to have friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then how did your life transition as you went into like a teenager and growing up? Like that started off so early. How was your teenage life? It was it was difficult, you know. I I did well in school. Um, I was an athlete, and what I noticed is that you know I, I just I wanted attention from people, positive attention. But I, what I noticed is when I was getting good grades, and I was the top athlete, and I was being nice to people no one was really wanted to be friends with me. I I was still like an outcast and I was thinking to myself like self, (laughs) if I'm doing all these good things and and I'm being a good person and being respectful to my parents and being an athlete and doing all this stuff, but no one wants to do anything with me. Maybe I should just start acting out and start getting negative attention. So when I was about 14 years old, that's whenever I started to, not be my true self. And do you remember what, um, like, was there an event that switched that or was it just a build-up accumulation of all all of that and an opportunity strike to not be yourself? Yeah, I would say it was just an accumulation. There wasn't a specific event that triggered that decision. I, I just remember being frustrated because up to, what, being 14 years old, doing all the right things, and I just felt so alone and so I just decided, well, let me see what this other life is like. And whenever I decided to make that change and not be my true self, that's when I started to have people around me and want to hang out with me. Yeah. And th- was it that family or was that friends? Or was it just a mixture? Was you getting more attention from family when they realized you wasn't being yourself? Or was it you it, it was- got a new group of associations? <laughs> yeah, I would say it. I definitely started to have quote unquote friends around me. Like there was a, like a little clique of people that I would hang out with. Um, And even though my family, my family, they never ignored me or anything like that. The thing is I did not want more attention from my family. I wanted it from friends, but I ended up getting attention from both. So. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
And when did alcohol, was it alcohol or drugs entered your life first? It was actually uh, drugs, marijuana. And what age did that start? 14. Mm -hmm. And and how was that experience at the beginning? What was it like to, what do you, like, was it a pleasant experience right at the very start? Oh my gosh. It, It was not a pleasant experience whatsoever. I was 14 years old. It was the summer before high school. I happened to be dating a drug dealer at the time and he was selling marijuana. My parents went out for the day. I was in the house. I rolled a joint, (laughs) ignorantly smoked in the house, not realizing that the smoke would carry (laughs) all over through the entire house, hotbox the entire house. Um, And it was not a pleasant experience whatsoever. It, what happened for me is for marijuana, it just, amplified the anxiety and the fear and all the subconscious feelings and thoughts that I had, it just amplified it. So it was not a good experience for me. Yeah. And then did you quit then or did you carry on smoking? Did you have some more, was it social pressure? What, what continued that path? Yeah. So with that, um, I told myself that I was never going to smoke again, at least not in my parents' house because it was too, they could smell it. And yeah. I, and I wanted to, to do it, but like on the down low, I remember thinking. <laughs> so, um, I moved on in, into high school. I remember thinking, okay, well I probably, I can drink, but not very much because they'll smell the alcohol on me. So I started to do cocaine because people can't smell that on you. And what age would that be? It was the same age. Oh, so still at 14, so it's very quick from one to the other. Yeah, really, really quick. Is that down to it was easily available because of your boyfriend? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about money? Is it he gives it to you for free or how how did you afford it? Because cocaine is known as being quite expensive. Yeah, I know. That's one thing that it's hard for some people to believe. They're like, Michelle, what did you do to get those free drugs? Well, my boyfriend at the time, like we knew each other since we were nine years old. His family and I were very close. They just gave it to me for free. Yeah. I didn't have a job. Yeah. Yeah, and if it's normally most drug dealers make enough money that they have a little bit for themselves or for someone else and their friends, so there's a bit to go around. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, and how, how, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and how was your first, ex- what was cocaine like as your first experience? What was that like? That experience, I remember doing a line and getting this extreme rush of confidence, um, energy, clarity. And the thing that I really liked the most about it was prior to doing that drug, it was very difficult for me to speak and confidently without hesitation to other people. And when I did that, I felt like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've been looking for my entire life. Yeah. 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 Cause what, what I've noticed, not from trying it, but I like to be very analytical and analyze. And mm-hmm. I always have been that way. And from what I've noticed, like, cause I, I'll tell you a brief little bit about my life. Like when I was really younger, my mom had a mental illness. She had severe schizophrenia and she was mm-hmm. a single mother. And me and my brother started caring for her, but it sent me on a path that I was obsessed with controlling my actions and my consciousness. So for me, drugs, alcohol, were like completely forbidden because I was like I can't alter my state because right. I didn't want to be like my mum but I also wanted the responsibility but I just mm-hmm. did not want to lose any control of myself like I was obsessed with self-control right um but my friends would do drugs and I'd always be watching them and looking how does it change them how does it do things and that continued as I got older and mm-hmm. from what I noticed like cocaine's known really big in the movie industry mm-hmm. and it seems that when people do cocaine it's not just a party drug but they do it before they go on screen when they know they've got a high amount of judgment coming. It seems to just cancel off judgment from what I notice. Like people don't feel judged and then they're able to just do what they need to do without not to be judged around people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would you say that judgment just dropped off? Yeah. You know what? I, I've never really heard it explained like that, but that's exactly what happened. It's like the normal things that happen in your brain where you feel like you're being judged or, you have a hesitation, like it's all just like taken away from you. So you just get to do whatever it is that you want to do without hesitation. 
obviously enabled you to sort of flow into life and just for the first time it sounds like feel yourself again and mm -hmm. be able to like you said, to speak and communicate is important especially without hesitation so having yeah. that must have felt like such a nice experience um yes at what at what point did you did you continue like alcohol and weed or was it just cocaine for it and how many years did that continue cocaine I, I that was all throughout high school um but i did a lot of drugs in high school. It wasn't just that, but that was the, I guess cocaine was the main thing. I rarely ever smoked marijuana because it made me paranoid. And I rarely drank because it, you could smell it on my breath and I did not want to get in trouble for my family. I, yeah. uh, yeah. And yeah, it's like you said, you can get away with, I think, cocaine and people just think you might be a little bit confident rather than <laughs> you're drunk. It's very obvious. I remember my friend coming into school, he was about 15 years old and he came in absolutely drunk Right. And he's trying to like tell the teacher he's not drunk while stumbling, laughing <laughs> as he's drinking his name tag and laughing at the teacher's name. Right. And I was just like, this is, it was so obvious. I couldn't believe how drunk he came in one day. Right. Um, but yeah, whereas if someone's doing cocaine, I imagine it's almost unnoticeable unless someone knows you really well. They'd be like, oh, you just seem a bit different. How, would you do it like every day in school, in the bathrooms? How does it work taking drugs while in school? Yeah. So we had, we had, public bathrooms where there was like five stalls in it. And then we had some in the center of the school where there were just single bathrooms mm. where you could just go in, lock the door, no one else would come in. Those are the ones that I would choose. So in between every period, between every class, I would go and I would do a line and then I'd go back and do whatever it is that I was doing. But, so what, what would that be quantity wise? Again, I'm a bit naive in how much people take mm -hmm. in the things. I know it's sold in grams and things, but I really don't know uh, yes. the measurements and volumes. But if someone's listening that does, what, like, what sort of amount would you say you was taking per week at that time? Oh, per week? I'm not sure on week, but probably like a gram per day at the very beginning. Yeah. And is that a lot or is that a little? Sounds like it a lot. Is, it is a lot. I mean, it's like $50 worth back in the 90s. So. I mean that's that's a quite quite a bit. Did you did you ever notice any sort of side effects at all apart from maybe when you wasn't on it and feeling like you need it? Um, did you notice any issues occurring like at the beginning or not? At the beginning, um, no. Just as long, I just had to be very careful on how much that I did because I could go from just being very confident to really amped up and like overly anxious and just looking really wired. Hmm. So I had to find like a balance and for a while, yeah, it, it was okay. Like there was nothing, like I wasn't going through withdrawals. Um, I was just enjoying life. It was just fun for me. And, and one other thing that you had mentioned before is that with cocaine, you can kind of like get away with it, you know? And, and I remember just recently talking to somebody back from high school and telling them, because they've been seeing my post on social media and stuff, they were like, we had no idea that this is what you were going through. I hit it really yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, so how, how did that transition, like you said, because now I, I know you're someone that say you've done it, I think you said like for 25 years until mm -hmm. you stopped. Um, mm -hmm. Was that just cocaine for 25 years? Oh, no, no. It, it, so it started off with the marijuana and the cocaine and then I started drinking a little bit and then um let's see I started to smoke crack uh acid snorting heroin shooting up heroin smoking meth shooting up meth pills pretty much anything that was out there I I did was that did that all start in your teens or was that in your 20 or, what? or was it yeah. just continuously added over the years it just added over the years. Just for example, high school was pretty much cocaine. Um, the beginnings of college or so, after I dropped out of college, then I started doing crack. I was probably like 24 years old. And then after that, it just escalated because what happened for me is the drug of choice at the time would stop working. So I would switch to something else so that I could still feel high. So what, what I'm really interested in the crack because crack's like it's fairly new. I know it seems to have been in the states for a lot longer than mm -hmm. it has. Like I'm from the UK. I'm in I'm in Spain now, but I'm not, and mm -hmm. I don't really see much of any of that culture at the moment just because of the way I live. Yeah. Uh, but when I was in the UK, 
um, and being just outside of London, there was a lot of drugs in the town that I was from. Mm-hmm. And crack still like it hadn't become anything. Do you know, you could get weed, you could get coke, you could get LSD, you could get all sorts of things. But crack wasn't. A, I imagine now it's pretty big again. Uh, it's something that's there now. But what, what can you explain what the difference is and what the feelings like when you first took crack? You know, what's really interesting is whenever I explain the way that it feels to do crack, people are like, I've never heard that, Michelle. So like for cocaine, when you snort a line, it immediately you get that rush of euphoria. Um, but whenever I smoke crack, what the way that I would feel is it would come on very slowly and it would be like this calming type of euphoria. It didn't feel like it just hit me right in the face. It would just come on slowly and I would feel this confidence and this euphoria, but it just was like an ease with it. It it was just, it's bizarre because when I, I feel like it was calming to me, it really was. Yeah. Cause again, my only reference for crack really is from sort of, TV films and things I've seen like that rather than people or experience Uh Um, it looks like it looks like you like you said like calming like people that do that sit and lounge about why they do it whereas people that take coca (laughs) can be very productive and carry on doing things did you find yourself losing productivity when you started crack oh yeah for sure I did you know when when I was doing uh cocaine I, I was a waitress and I was really active and a little busy bee and doing whatever it is that I needed in life. But once I started smoking crack, then I would just be pretty much in like a house with my friends, drinking a lot of alcohol, being on the couch, eating, you know, just being lazy pretty much. Yeah. And you said heroin, you said you smoked it and you, um, put it in your body for for an injection again i'm going by films here i've never seen anyone take heroin i've met people that have had it um Mm -hmm. can you tell me what the difference is in why you would smoke it as to why you would inject it and what you noticed well if i said smoke i misspoke what i meant was i used to snort oh sorry you did say snort it sorry you did say snort. okay yeah because i've never actually smoked it but the difference so the way that i would compare it is when you do a line of heroin, it it doesn't hit you immediately. Like you will feel a difference as soon as you snort it, but it's like over 10 minutes, you start to feel this high, you know? Um, mm. It's more of like, it's not like a shock to the body where all of a sudden you just go from feeling I don't know, however you were feeling prior to the drug to all of a sudden you're just relaxed and just in this beautiful state of peace or something. It happens over like a 10 minute ses- time frame or something like that. Um, yeah, different- when you inject it, it's pretty instant, right? Yeah, it's like as soon as it gets into your veins, boom, you're like completely relaxed. The most peaceful feeling you've ever felt in your life tremendous euphoria but the bizarre thing is like most of the time when you're feeling like that when people are looking at you from the outside and they're viewing you you look like you're dying yeah yeah and is it a extreme is it a complete opposite when you like come off of it that you feel like it's just the opposite. Is it? Is that the problem with it? That it feels so great when you're on it, but when you're off, the off is actually much more amplified. Mm-hmm. Worse. Yeah, it, that's that's the scary part. Is you just feel. It's like all the things that that were suppressed when you were high, come out like tenfold or more. Like the anxiety, um, everything is just overly amplified. Like you can hear things. Things are really loud. Your skin hurts. Um, It hurts to talk. It hurts to be in light. Um, You physically feel like you're going to throw up. Um, You you can't. Sometimes you you do throw up. And there's just so many uh, side effects. It's just overwhelming. Hmm. So you said now you've been clear for two and a half years. Did you come 
completely off everything or was it like stages you came off coke then you came off crack then you come off heroin or was it by the end you was only doing heroin how did what was the sort of timeline of it yeah um so originally let me think because it, it did not all happen just at once where i was just said you know what i'm done with this stuff it happened over years actually hmm. um i stopped doing cocaine and then i stopped doing um crack and then um i remember making a decision okay i'm never going to shoot up again and then i stopped doing pills and then i stopped the alcohol and so just the, the pills was that like painkiller pills yeah yeah um what were they called uh, we call them narcos here in the states. Um, just Does that seems like naproxen. Not naproxen. Um, I'm trying to think of what what it's legally called. It's just a, it's a narcotic pain pill, and and I was also on Xanax too. How did you? How did your body react coming off things? Did you notice like then you noticed physical problems or none or? Oh my gosh! Was it, was, it was it was it was horrible. A living hell. I mean. My body, um, I, I had such a hard time. That was the, the part that was difficult about coming off drugs was the, the, the detoxing because, I mean, I was just so sensitive. Like, it was hard for me to be around people. People couldn't touch me because my skin hurt. I wanted to throw up. Uh, I felt like I was dying. I would be in bed, like, shaking and shivering. Um, most of the time, like, i did not have the ability to like do this on my own because I literally felt like I was dying that I would go and to like psych wards and tell them that I wanted to die so that they would put me in the hospital so that I could get on medication to help me detox from these drugs. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's extreme. And do you have now, how does your skin feel now? Do you feel, do you still have physical like issues with, with it that you find that were still there from then or is that? I've Past yeah. over time. I would say, uh, no, now everything is perfectly fine. And I'm so grateful for that because I had totally forgotten about that one detox symptom up until I saw something on TV the other day. And I remembered how horrible it was um, getting off these drugs. But the thing is, once I detoxed, um, I would say about a year it took probably like a year really for my body to really reset, um, to not have any of those symptoms because it's, it, it just takes a while for the yeah, body. I, I find it. Yeah. I find it incredible to me. It seems incredibly fast because somewhat you can do things to the body over years and years and years <laughs> and you can undo it in a couple of years. You can like do 10 years worth of damage and undo it in two years, but that two years when you're in it can seem really slow but considering right. the it's it's fast you don't if you've done 25 years worth of drugs you don't have to spend 25 years refixing yourself to yes. get back to feeling good like it's actually right. pretty quick it seems but it just takes a real strength and real willpower to to want mm -hmm. it and to and to know as well i think that's what's great with you sharing because like you said at the beginning having hope i think knowing the possibility of change is even a possibility yeah um and like people can go to all sorts of therapists or anything and unless they've heard it from someone that's been there that seems to what really gives them the inspiration and the hope is someone that's been through something shares it and they're not in that place and then they go okay it is possible it's not just someone saying it's possible they've okay. done they've done it um was there something that gave you that willpower to to push yourself through the hardest points god did god did i mean like what I realized is that, like, like you were saying, um, you had mentioned doctors and stuff. For me, like, going to detox, psych wards, psychiatrists, prescription medications, my family, my so-called friends. There was nothing that anybody could do for me, and I and I was absolutely alone. Like in the end, my family didn't even want me around because I was so manipulative. I was an emotional terrorist. I lied. I stole from them. I did anything to support my habit. Right. So mm. in the end, like, it was just me. And I was like, okay, God, like, if, if you're real, you're going to have to get me sober because I can't do this alone. And so I started to have conversations, like, with the universe. 
and, and God. And I started to become more intuitive and get intuitive thoughts and inspirations. And God was like, you know, you're going to need to take action. Everything like only one thing is going to need to change in life. And that's everything. And only one person needs to change. And that's you. And when I had that realization, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been blaming everyone and everything for my problems in life. And I've been the issue. Hmm. What was sort of God any influence at any point in the early stage of your life? Was it something completely fresh and new to you at that point? Oh, God. Was God fresh and new to me at that point? Yeah. Mm, I would say the concept or the idea that there was a higher power was not new to me. But all I knew is that I didn't want the same God that I grew up with. I See, I, I grew up in private school. I grew up in church. But the God that I was introduced to was like a damning and punishing God. I came into sobriety and was told that I can choose my own higher power, my own understanding. And my God is love. And so with that love, there's forgiveness and acceptance and all these positive things. And I just decided to to stick with that because that's what I needed to live. (laughs) Yeah, no, and because it's interesting for me because I was brought up like so my my mom was uh, my nan sorry was from ireland and we had like a catholic slight upbringing but my mom and dad weren't so much i think Mm -hmm. my dad was sort of christian but no one was that strict but when my nan was about we would go to church and we'd do things but then when i was like when i was seven i started getting like suicidal thoughts because life was just too hard with my mom and the reality i was witnessing um and i used to pray and i used to be on my hands and knees crying for some sort of salvation or god and when that didn't i didn't feel like that came Mm -hmm. um it sent me on a path that I just was like, I don't have, there is no God, you know? And I was in that sort of mindset for a long, long time. Yeah. And it wasn't until the last sort of transformations that happened to me over the last six years that I was like, now I'm fully a man of faith, but I don't label myself with any particular religion, any particular group. It's my own faith that mm-hmm. life is happening for me, not to me. And that there's a purpose here. There's a high, like you said, a higher power. There's an organization, there's a structure going on. Uh-huh. I can't comprehend who am I? Do you know what I mean? I've, it's my cells are regenerating, but I don't even have to think about that. Do you know what I mean? I'm not that. But then <laughs> right. that's happening to everything. And like you said, and just being that, like that service of love and compassion without uh-huh. conditions. Like that's my main thing is now it's unconditional love. And I had to go through a path of, I didn't realize that I didn't love myself through all the trauma that I experienced over the years uh-huh. that, that had conditioned me to become, like I said, I was really into self-control. Mm-hmm. and I was like a dictator to myself I punished yeah. myself and I set myself I was just a horrible person to myself the voice within right it wasn't love it was like an abusive relationship that I didn't realize I was in you know and um it was through like self-love practices I started that I had like the biggest transformations in how I felt about myself mm-hmm. and then once I got into unconditional self-love love processes that was really where I sort of felt like I was the hand of God you could say or something you know there was something different it was like yeah. much more blissful, some, something to made consistency in my life. Right. You know, right. before it was the ups and downs of like, you're trying to do something, but you have an extreme ups and downs. Sometimes you feel amazing and you feel in love with yourself. And then the next day you could feel the opposite <laughs> or the next moment. But it right. wasn't until that sort of sensation um, uh-huh. that it became consistent. And I've seen with a lot of addicts that they say the number one thing that stopped people with alcoholism from what I've seen uh, others talk about, I think it was Tony Robbins talking about it. And he was saying, God is the number one thing that keeps uh, an alcoholic consistent when they actually quit. He said more than any other therapy, more than any other thing. He goes at like a 90% success rate if someone finds a faith, Mm -hmm. something higher than themselves, a belief system that they actually don't go backwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I totally agree with that incredibly powerful thing and something i never thought i'd be saying to be honest like years ago would have thought I, you know it's strange what do you what do you think your your younger self now if you was to meet yourself at uh-huh. say let's say 15 years old what uh-huh. do you think your younger self would actually think of you now she probably wouldn't believe how much i love myself and Oh my gosh. I I mean, I think that she would just be in awe because 
of all the fear and anxiety that she had experienced, she had been experiencing, like to look at this person, she probably wouldn't even recognize her. She'd probably be like, no, that's not me. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's right. not me. Yeah. Well, and what, what other things have you found other than it seems that the main call would be, like you said, finding God. Have you mm-hmm. found anything else that motivates you, inspires you, gives you energy and like just that courage for the day and love for life? Really just, uh, I, there's just something about being in nature. I love nature, uh, animals, being in water is very energizing for me. Like I can pull energy from that. Um, being of service to other people is something that really just keeps me going. I, had always been like this really selfish and self-centered person. And what I've realized is that life is not about me. It's about helping other people and being of service to others. And I really enjoy that a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I still, go ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, I totally agree. That It's like that living to give. And I had a, uh, I don't know if you know him. He's quite a popular uh, person. He's called Luke Story. Um, and he mm-hmm. was a an addict, and he talked about the same thing. And he goes, when he was uh, on heroin and stuff, he because he didn't realize how selfish he was. Mm-hmm. And he goes until he started serving others. Oh wow! And like he just said, he was just so fueled, like that. <laughs> he, he goes, he couldn't believe it once he actually started serving others rather than serving himself. That that gave him everything he wanted when he thought he was being selfish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's just a big paradox. It's like the way that I always thought is if I'm spending time with other people and I'm doing things for other people, I don't have time for myself. But when you're giving to others and being there for other people, you're also feeling your cup as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a little time sometimes to clean your cup out first, but I was talking to someone else about that. And I was saying, it's like, the fulfillment part, I feel like I see so many people now cleaning their cups, you know, they're going through <laughs> different things, whether it's uh, addictions or just traumas or whatever it is, they're cleaning the cup out and there's all these methods and techniques. Um, mm-hmm. But so many of them aren't realizing that the cup is still useful and they need to refill it. You know, mm-hmm. and that does, for me, that comes from the service that you provide us, what, what mm-hmm. you give out. And like, I just love it. I love connecting with people on podcasts, like hearing your story and just this inspiring, motivating, just to, just the connection part, like we're in totally different countries in an instant connecting. And that to me is amazing. Um, yes. So it's like just putting content online and sharing with others fuels me. I enjoy it. Even if it's one comment, one like, you know, it's, yeah. you know, you're connected with someone, you've touched someone and you've given something. And so what point did you start like your YouTube channel? It's been, I would say about a year, about a year or so. I remember originally I had started it not only just because I wanted to share that there's hope for people that are still in addiction, but um, my higher power was like, okay, it's time for you to speak, tell them about what it is that I've done for you. But not only that, I mean, you have an amazing, you have a voice, you have something to share, but you need to get outside of yourself and share what it is that you've gone through because this life isn't about you. And even though I was scared and I was anxious and I didn't want to make these videos, I started to make them. Um, and how, and then, how did that? Yeah, sorry, Karen. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, like, how did that first mm-hmm. video going up, like when you actually pressed like public live, how did that feel? <laughs> so nervous. I was freaking out. You know, it's funny, Luke, because the first video, I was so uh, self-conscious and and anxious that I didn't even want to record the video in the house that I was staying at because I didn't want my roommate to hear what I was saying, that mm-hmm. I went and recorded it in my vehicle in front of a public library. <laughs> 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 ah, but you got it and you got it out and then yeah how long did it take you before you was like right I'm gonna make the next one and when did it become comfortable yeah it, it took a while before I I made a decision that you know what I'm gonna continue making these I think the first one came out the second one didn't come out for like two months and then maybe I made one a couple of weeks later and then a couple of months later I see I uh, I was battling my own mind like mm. you were talking about that dictator in your mind, 
right? Yeah. So um, I would, I had a lot of self doubt, and I kept on, I guess, just tricking myself and saying, "Oh, you, you know, you don't need to do that." And but then a couple of months ago is when I really decided, you know what, I'm going to make a video every Saturday. I'm going to make one every Sunday, and that's it. And, and that's where you up to now. So someone can find your videos every mm-hmm. week, at least one video. But you're trying for two. Yes. And have you yeah. managed that consistency over the last couple months? I have, except for this past weekend when I got under the weather or whatever, and I was in the hospital. But prior to that, yes, every Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, because I sort of forgot about that because we spoke because we was meant to do the podcast the other week, and you had um, uh-huh. breathing issues and a bit of just a bit of a rough throat and stuff. Um, what's funny is after I done. Uh, we spoke and I went for a few tips with you on what, what I've learned. I made uh-huh. a YouTube video myself on that that I uploaded to YouTube today um, that I haven't actually put public where I was just sharing that same thing because I was like, sometimes things just come and I'm just like, oh, that helped you. I need to put that message out there. It may help someone else. Yes. You know, so I just made I made that today just going through things. But I love making the YouTube videos and I don't, I don't have, I have like subscribers, but that was like um, because I put up videos years ago that went viral uh-huh. Um, but then not because of my good content <laughs> so my, that's what's that's what's funny is the good stuff I put up I only get a little bit of people watching but the little support and the little interaction just I just love it it's just so um so nice and I'm sharing stuff like I said to do with my own problems with suicidal issues but in the past um mm-hmm. and depression and stuff and I never thought I would tell anyone let alone everyone <laughs> that I, I can <laughs> you said as well you, you've tried multiple times um to kill yourself and again, say if it's uncomfortable, but I'm so curious as to mm-hmm. what led you to that at what moment. Um, yeah, and like how long ago was that? I would say like the last time that that happened, gosh, uh, three years ago. And and it, and it wasn't like, for me, the suicide uh, attempts were like through drugs, like overdosing. Um, because I was always too scared to like cut myself or, you know, you know, use a gun or something like that. I just remember the feeling of like the drugs just didn't work the way that they usually did. Um, I felt completely alone. I was very depressed. Uh, my anxiety was through the roof. People didn't trust me. I didn't trust myself. Um, there was a point I remember where I sold the keys to my apartment to a drug dealer and I was living in a trap house floor on a mattress full of bed bugs where women were getting raped in the room and next to me, like my life had turned into like um, a nightmare. Yeah. And, and I was just, I, I was just so disappointed in myself. Um, I didn't have any support because I pushed everyone away that I just didn't want to be here anymore. And I remember the last attempt of committing suicide, waking up from an overdose, like just cursing at God, like, why the hell am I still here? I was pissed. I just didn't understand. Like it wasn't, you woke up in hospital. You just woke up where you was and it just didn't work. Yeah. Like I would just wake up like on the trap house floor. Or I remember one time waking up in my parents' bathroom um, when I went to go, go visit them. And, and it was just, it, it was the hardest thing because that last time when I was at my parents and I woke up and there are paramedics around me, they woke me up cause they use Narcan. That's just this drug that they use to help people reverse the, the effects of heroin. Right. Hmm. And and I saw the paramedics and I looked at my parents in the eyes and they were crying. They, I had never seen such fear and terror in someone's eyes. And I looked at the paramedics and I said, get me the hell out of here. I said, I want to kill myself. So, and um, they took me to the psych ward. So it, it, it was just so awful that experience. I remember being on the gurney they had me strapped down because I was suicidal and you're like considered a threat to yourself. Right. And yeah. they were just like, why are you crying so much? I was just bawling my eyes out. Like I could not catch my breath. 
I just felt trapped inside of myself. Like I felt imprisoned within my body and I couldn't escape. And it was terrifying. And then you're in prison basically in a hospital tied down. So even more restriction that's going to make you even want to to go even quicker. How long did it take from that to Mm -hmm. when you first thought, I want to live? I, I don't know. It's hard to say because it wasn't like it was just a decision. And then I just said, yeah, I want to live. It was like, I would go back and forth from, from wanting to live to like, no, I don't want to do this. It was just like a yo-yo thingy for me. But was that over months or I would say years? it was probably over like six months or so. Okay, I was just interested again because, like, six months is a short time from mm-hmm. from the severity of something for anyone listening mm-hmm. that is going through that. It's like mm-hmm. if you can last six more months, you know, maybe it will change when you just find yourself and yes, you yes. Said, make that step forwards. Yeah, that's the difficult thing is that when you're in a place like that in your mind, like even a day can feel like eternity. It it truly can, but one thing that I've learned since I've got sober is like, I just, I just started to focus on this moment, what's happening right now. Like a lot of people say like one day at a time, just, you just stay sober today. And I'm like, no, for me, it started off with just one second at a time, you know, one minute at a time, one hour at a time, just stay in this moment and time it, time will go by faster than it would if I'm focusing on what it is I want to do tomorrow, what it is that I want to achieve in a year, where I want to be in 10 years, you know, just like focus on right now, because that's all that we truly have is this moment right now. Yeah, beautiful. I love that you shared that because that's something I had to go through as well. Like I used to, mm-hmm. I was more, I had a lot of stuff going on in my past, so I didn't want to go there. So mm-hmm. I'd spent a lot of time in the future with all my ambitions <laughs> and expectations. And I pretty much lived there, but so yeah. miserable in the present present moment because every it got to the point where that future that I envisioned never came and it never came and it kept going and it never came. Right. <laughs> and then you start to like the foreseeable future just was only so bad that it just can't be good and that's what sort of led me to my uh, last suicidal um I wouldn't even I don't know if it's called an attempt or thought because I I was I was milliseconds away from jumping off a bridge into loads of traffic in the in in 2015 Mm -hmm. um but I said I wasn't on drugs I didn't drink Uh, mine came from just external pressure my mum had committed suicide seven times that year and survived everyone through having her stomach pumped every month she made an attempt um and my partner danielle who i'm with now uh, my love she had a cardiac arrest that year and she was wheelchair bound and pumped full of morphine and i was told by the doctors she's going to die within the next five years guaranteed she's never going to walk again and she's got mild brain damage they said and she'll never be herself again and i'm now caring for my mom caring for uh danielle my brother was unwell at the time as well and i was going back and forth just and I was like the foreseeable the future now I was like it's bleak at best right for a long time and I couldn't see any way out and I remember just walking to Danielle I just got my mum back from the hospital and left her with my brother didn't know if she's going to commit suicide now that I've gone and I'm walking to Danielle's to go care for her wondering if she's going to be dead when I turn up and I was crossing this bridge and I saw all these lanes of cars just running going past and I was just like this is just too much you know mm-hmm. it's like I just can't do this anymore. I can't suffer this anymore. And I was like, I'm just going to jump and make a big mess as well. I was like, I'm going to go out with a bang and just oh really God. mess things up. Uh-huh. Um, and at that last moment, something just hit me. And I only call it like now the fighting force. Something hit me within uh, in the last second that I'm just going to find love and joy for myself, even in chaos. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, it can all, as they say, stuff hit the fan and get even worse. She can drop dead. My mom can drop dead. Everything can go wrong. And I'm going to find a way to just be comfortable at least. I'm going to find joy. And yeah. it didn't, it wasn't instant, but that sort of motivation hit me. And then like loads more crazy stuff happened after that as well. That was even like more dramatic and uh, more intense. But through <laughs> it, I managed to like, like you said, find a God, find a way, find myself, find love, you know, and that was all during chaos. Um, yeah. And, and, and then now my life's still got lots of issues and lots of problems. But I wake up smiling, go to sleep smiling, mm-hmm. you know, have a consistent day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which I never thought would be possible only only a matter of years ago. I never thought that was even 
I thought I need to get everything that I want fixed mm-hmm. and then I will be able to be happy. And that dictator was saying, then you deserve it. You do everything, get everything, you do it perfectly. Then I will give you a little bit of love. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it was like being led by a whip all the time. Right. Nice. It's, it's, so, um, it's so nice to hear your story and hear that you've, like, like to me, it's a gift to go through the suffering and the trauma and to persevere and to survive. Because especially when you serve others with it, you're given a beautiful gift in life mm-hmm. that just had a real, like, hard wrapping, you know. Someone really went around all the edges and taped up every single little corner so you can't pick it for a long time and made yeah. that gift a little tough. Um, right. No, it's, it's so nice to just hear, hear your story and what you went through, as extreme as it is. Yeah. To me, it's just beautiful that you're talking about it, that you can say the words. Did you know yeah. it's just after extremely emotional when you first like uttered the words that you never thought you would share? Did I find myself emotional sharing? No. Um, let me think. Yeah, actually, I did. I remember... So one of the things about getting sober is, is I, I'm in this 12 step program and, um, at the very beginning I would go to like three or four meetings a day and there would always be a topic and it would always be directly related to addiction or alcoholism. And it was suggested that we would share for three minutes, every single meeting, um, I didn't have a lot of self-confidence back then. And I remember, well, actually I, I, I'm told because it's hard for me to remember what it was really like whenever I was at the very beginning of my sobriety. Um, I was told that my voice was very, very shaky, that I would just look down and to the ground that I wouldn't talk to anybody else. And that it was just really hard for me to share where I was at. Um, I just remember not wanting to do it, not wanting to be in those meetings and feeling like I was being judged. Mm. But now that I've stuck around and I still know those people from the very beginning of my journey, I realize how much unconditional love that they had for me and how everything that I was feeling was all just in my mind because everyone absolutely loved me for who I was and was there to to love and support me and to give me courage when I didn't have any myself. Oh, nice. Yes. It was like almost all that judgment was a self judgment that was happening it was. in the moment. It was. <laughs> how, how have you found, like, because the last two years has obviously been a little bit uh, different than usual. How have you found that process? Because that sent a lot of people into depression, suicide, mm-hmm. drug abuse, and all sorts for a lot of people because it's their first real chaos they've experienced and they're looking for ways out to like you said to change Mm -hmm. their ways of feeling or their reality how Mm -hmm. have you found that because you've been sort of clean in that time would you had you would you what six months in when it started let's see so i got clean in august so september october so yeah like six months basically six and a half months when the the world shut down (laughs) yeah so how did how did that affect you and your process Well, um, at the very beginning of it, I, I was like, I freaked out because I had done six months of work where I was getting outside of myself, being out in the world, um, not isolating or anything like that. Like I did a lot of work to make sure that I was not who I was prior to getting sober. Right. Hmm. Um, but Thank God for the the 12-step program. The first step is to admit that you're powerless over alcohol and drugs, that your life is unmanageable. But with the first step, you can apply it to anything in life. So my sponsor, the person that taught me how to get sober at the time, said, Michelle, just use the the first step on this pandemic. So admit that you're powerless over this pandemic and that your life is unmanageable. So just surrender to God and see him, see what he would have you be. So um, we started to develop online Zoom meetings, 12-step meetings. And that is, is what saved my sobriety, to be quite honest. Um, so I was able to meet with the people that I would normally meet in, in the rooms, uh, like in person, over Zoom. 
Okay, yeah, I was going to ask if they stopped all the meetups for the 12 steps because I imagine that like pretty much everything mm -hmm. shut down. So I imagine that did too, but they continued yes. through Zoom. So oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Still so. it. It's interesting. That's the first, I didn't know that's the first step. But that's like a big part of my journey was realizing I have zero control over the external. <laughs> I can set intentions for it. I have right. zero control, so I have to drop all my expectations of what externally happens in my world um, mm -hmm. and embrace that I have an internal process that I can have some hands on, I can have some grips, and at least I can grow a little bit of strength there to manage it better or to be the CEO of the internal life and run it efficiently. Whereas the external, I just sort of had to just let go and go, that's none of my business anymore. <laughs> you know, still have ambitions and dreams and desires and to uh -huh. look at life but just to let go and that really helped because that's when the pandemic came I was just sort of almost humorous in in ways not that people were suffering but it just uh -huh. was for me it was just like okay look you really don't have a control over external it just reassured me <laughs> that I have no control over what's going on at, out there you, know, you uh -huh. can be of some influence that's why I like to put the YouTube and the podcast you can be of an influence to the external but you don't really control it in any way right that's so true yeah, so thing, I, I just wanted to mention one other thing too. Um, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, realizing that I, I couldn't go in outside, right? The mm. world shut, closed for business. <laughs> so I decided to go within. And a lot, what I've found is when I talk to a lot of people that are still in addiction is that they have this fear and this hesitation to go within, to be quiet, to do introspection, to look at their past behaviors, to forgive themselves and all of these things. But in, in the hardest time in most people's lives, like I decided to really do the hard work and just do that self-development. But thank God, like I had the support of this 12 step program. And honestly, like I found there's a lot of online support too. If you find like a really good tribe of people on Instagram or like Facebook, positive people that are there to like shine light into your life. Like for me, when I didn't necessarily have people that I could talk to in person, there is always online support. Yeah. There's like, there's a lot of, junk out there there's a lot of trolls out there there's a lot of negativity out there but there's so much mm -hmm. positivity at the same time there, there is really people is. there is things you know even if i was sharing with someone else like was talking about social media sort of anxiety and stuff and like people scared of certain things i was like just have a fresh account don't even put your face on it and just join things that are just unbelievably supportive and pop motivational and inspiring and just drop comments of love and just share nothing but love and thanks for whatever you just read you yeah. know and just put yourself in that place so to break yeah. so if you're going to have withdrawals some people like go cold turkey off all social media and mm -hmm. have all sorts of, it's like it's an addiction in itself you know where they've been just doing it for so long yeah it's causing them crazy anxiety right you say that withdrawal effects mm -hmm. um we're just getting near to the end of the show i could talk to you for hours to be honest this is my <laughs> this is my one of my problems is I, I love to connect and share and talk and i find pe every people fascinating and especially people that are full of love so i could just keep going um, yeah. but i have just some short questions here for you that are just i yeah. ask every guest at the end of the show do you have a little time for them yeah absolutely uh, if you had to just choose one mm -hmm. cats or dogs doggies <laughs> Uh, what's your favorite color blue what excites you water and what does the opposite what turns you off fire <laughs> what what sound or noise do you love hmm. i would say silence but i've had that answer quite a few times Really? <laughs> yes, a lot of people have <laughs> said silence. And one of the guests said they think silence. They just said they've never heard it to know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking that too. <laughs> um, what sound or noise do you just drives you a little bit up the wall? You know the sound of uh, cats when they're mating? Like they sound like cat oh, yeah. babies. Yeah, that's not a nice sound. Yeah, sounds no. like someone's being, this, yeah, it's a horrible sound. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, what comes to mind um, when I say, what do you love about yourself? 
resilience. And no matter what has happened to me, I honestly feel like I can get through anything. Yeah, uh, lovely. I, uh, do you know, I was having a, um, and her story will come out one day in more detail. My partner, Danielle, she's, and I said to her one word that I have for her is resilience and stuff. Mm-hmm. She's at a point where she's gone through her tra- traumas and obstacles in life. And she sort of goes, started to think, am I a little bit crazy that I feel like I'm in a place where I'm actually feel good. She goes like, is that weird? Should I still feel bad? Should I feel uh-huh. t- <laughs> It's like interesting. Like, you know, it's just right. this process. I think we all go through at points when we're trying to unwind whatever that traumatic experiences were within us. Yeah. What, what do you love about others? Vulnerability. Oh, nice. And the very last question, what do you love about animals? And this can be pets or when you see animals in nature. Mm-hmm. I, I just the unconditional love that I feel from them. Oh, beautiful. And where's the best place for people to contact you? I know we mentioned you're on YouTube and the Sobriety Playbook. What, what other social media? Where's what do you have online? What's your digital space? Yeah, um, I do have an Instagram account. So uh, I do also have TikTok, and I have Spotify as well. I don't have too many podcast episodes as of now or and it's also on anchor um but everything on social media is the sobriety playbook um yeah i'll be sure to put your links all in the description and so people can come and follow and sign up and can you just like what sort of content do you share is it different what you share on youtube instagram tiktok what 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 will people find if they go looking for you yeah so on youtube I have different things. So for example, on Sunday nights, I do a series called Jesus Calling. And that is, um, I read directly from this book called Jesus Calling. I read from the Bible. I talk about the uh, the spiritual teachings from Jesus. Um, other things on YouTube, I will just talk about the steps that I've learned in sobriety. There's 12 steps and every single month is dedicated to a step. So like, for example, we're in the month of March. So we're in the third step. So um, there's just a lot of different sobriety topics that I will talk about on YouTube. On Instagram, I will sh- I will post like short clips of some of the YouTube posts or videos. But a lot of times it's more about inspiration, the things that I've learned in sobriety and things like that. Yeah. Okay. And TikTok? Uh-huh. And TikTok... TikTok is pretty much um, everything that I have on YouTube in just a shorter form. So it's kind of like the the highlights of my my YouTube channel. The best parts of my videos are on there. Okay, nice. Yeah, I'm uh, again. The reason this is also called the Selfish Podcast because it's about you and yourself and everything. But it's also selfish. Like I said, I love to know people's things because mm-hmm. I'm putting stuff out socially. Uh-huh. Like I just started a TikTok. I think this. I started one ages ago, and I just never. I just couldn't stand TikTok or the amount of bombardment of like trashy videos I was getting that just I just didn't want in in my life. I was uh-huh. like, I just don't need to see this. So I I just never went on the account, and then. I was motivated this month to start a new account and put stuff up and just put out like affirmations that I needed to say myself. So I thought every day I just put out something I need to say for myself. (laughs) Maybe someone will hear it. So that's why I started a TikTok one. Um, But yeah, it took me a while. Whereas Instagram's like, it's just easy and it's nice and sort of thing. But YouTube's still my favorite. I like long form videos and being able to see and and share. And then do you have a favorite out of the ones you use to, to actually use? Yeah, YouTube for sure. I love it because, uh, you know, all of my videos, none of them are edited. Most of the time, I just go on and I just speak. And I just love the community there. And it's just just awesome. Yeah, no, that's exactly how I do it. I set the camera up and talk. And sometimes Danielle asks me, she goes, what are you recording today? I said, I don't know until I press record. <laughs> <laughs> I said, whatever, whatever comes to mind in that moment, unless it's requested by someone, I said, it will just be whatever just pops in is meant to be said. Right. To speak. Um, uh, it's been absolutely lovely and beautiful to hear your voice and get to know you in more detail. So I'm just so appreciative and thankful for you being here and sharing. Oh, thank you so much. Look, it's so nice to connect with you. Just your voice and just being around you is just, uh, it's very refreshing. And I'm grateful for your videos because they really helped me when I wasn't feeling too well last week. And uh, 
You know, I, I, you know, I don't like taking a lot of medications or anything like that. So anything natural was very yeah. helpful from you. So I, I'm grateful for you. Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, I'll, um, like I said, I'm putting up a new one where I mentioned your name in it because it was thanks to you that the video went out there where I just sort of sum up all them things on a bit more on lung health and breathing. But I'll be sure to send that your way. And if you ever have any requests or anything you want me to talk about for my channel, just drop me a message at any time. Like I love talking about the self-development process and anything to do with health and wellness, you know, especially like you said, naturally. Like for me, it's about living as minimal as possible. And that means minimal uh, chemicals too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you right, so Thanks much. for coming on so early in the morning as well. And um, you got the whole day ahead of you now. I'm about to go and take, I have a few cats and a dog with me. So I'm going to go, they all go <laughs> for a walk. So I'm about to take them all for a walk. Yay. Well, enjoy that. All right, enjoy your day. And thanks again. Okay. Really appreciate it. Take care. I appreciate you. Thank all you. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for being here and listening to The Selfish Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Greenheart, and I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. Just search Luke Greenheart on YouTube. You'll find me. Check out my website, lukegreenheart.com. Have an amazing day and stay tuned for more episodes. I'll be interviewing guests on their path of self-development, their path to self, getting to know them in much more intimacy, much more depth, sharing and connecting with all so we can have a much more blissful, joyful and productive life together. All right, much love. Have a great day. Thank you.